Hey, what's happening, everybody? This is Dennis Terrell of Terrell Knifeworks, and you and I are listening to the Work For It podcast, where the emphasis is on business in the workshop. You can support these guys for as little as $1 a month or $12 a year, and show your support by going to patreon.com forward slash work for it to find out more. $12 a year? That won't even buy two gallons of gasoline here in California. You might as well support these guys like I do so they can help us all work for it. You can do that right now. Hi, I'm Jeff Fader, and you're listening to the Work For It podcast. Hit it, Brian! That's right. You are listening to the Work For It podcast. And in the studio, we have Brian Cohn of B. Cone Knives and the man himself, Knife Talk, Full Blast podcast. You know him as Jeff Fader. I lovingly call him Darth Fader. <laughs> that old chestnut. Jeff Fader. That old chestnut. That's it. That's a good one. I by tell the you way. what, I came up with that myself. That's an well, original. Well, I got bad news for you, Brian. There's some. I got. <laughs> I got bad, bad news for you. But fine. If, if that makes you happy, if you want to feel that you, I will not. Sh- I will not stomp on your parade. I, I figured you had already heard it before, but well, know, 1983. I, I, I heard it about it. Anyway. That's for sure. <laughs> 1983. Little Jeff Fader getting on the school bus, third grade. Oh man, they, must have been brutal. They just walked up to me and said, "What's your name, Jeff?" I said, what is this spelled? Fetter? Is it Jeff Fetter? And I said, no, it's Jeff Fader. Like Darth Vader? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Man, it's right so. along the same lines as when I was around that same age and it was all, oh, Brian, you know, Conehead. Yeah, Coneheads oh, from, from SNL. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd was the Conehead. The worst. Well, you know, I looked into your name, Jeff, uh-huh. uh, and I'm sure you know this, but like Fetter or Fader is, uh, was like a hat maker or something, wasn't it? Isn't that a term for a hat? A maker? Yes, it's actually like the German a, word for feather. Oh, so right. Okay. A lot of a lot of it were were pens and feathers, and then there's actually a type of sword. I think it's called a feather. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you know, derivation of names. What are you gonna do? It's you know. Freaking I've, love it. I'm fascinated by that stuff. I tell you what. I tell you, you could be fascinated by it. But my father was born in the Bronx, and my mother was born in Brooklyn. And we were, I was raised, you know, ha, uh, uh, how would you say, culturally Jewish without really any kind of formal training. And when I was sure. born, <laughs> my dad just decided that he wanted to name me Jeffrey William Fader. Jeffrey spelled with a G. And my mother was like, but we're not English. And he's like, oh, it's going to sound great. And it's like this, you know, I've had to deal with this goddamn name for my whole life. And then I don't know if you remember, <laughs> Brian, you're probably old enough to remember Toys R Us, the company Toys R Us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They and had the, a mascot. Jeffrey the Giraffe. They had a mascot, That's Jeffrey it. the Giraffe. So I got that too. So, And it just seems to me that like, it's funny that, Brian, um, that you said, B. Cone, you said that uh, people made fun of you, the Coneheads. The worst part about it all is the self-satisfaction of people thinking that they're the most original. They've come up with such an original thought and the smirking self-satisfaction of coming up with a yes. good one. It's That's worse than any of it. Dude, yeah. it's just the exact same when you go up to a tall person like, oh, what's how's the weather up there? Or, oh, yeah. when's, when's the basketball game? You get the same shit every fucking day. It's, it is what it is, man. It's not. These guys. It's fine. 
how you guys have a cool last name like housework and then you won't yeah. have to deal with any of that stuff well i mean look names you know you're not you're stuck with the name i mean you figured out a way to kind of make it a little bit more uh, streamlined brian but before yeah. we go yeah, on everybody used to call me house i just was like in high school yeah that was the whole thing brian house it was easier to say. Well, I don't blame you. I just want to thank you guys for inviting me on the show before anything. I really appreciate. Uh, I really appreciate technically you, you invited yourself like well, a, a little bit ago. So, well, but I I I actually loved it that you did that because I had been wanting to ask you to come on, and you know how it is. It's like I always feel like, oh man, I know he's so busy. Like I'm busy, you're busy, like everybody's busy. But I know how much you love the art of pod podcasting. You know, it's something that we all have this. Um, there's a select crew of us that really believe in audio content and create it every week and everything. And you're actually one of the reasons why I make the, the work work for a podcast. You and Craig Lockwood came up with the Makery Network and then invited me to join. Like I was one of the original guys and I never understood the power of podcasting before. You know, I always figured like no one would ever listen and, you know, maybe I'd create it and it would just like go nowhere. I just never really had the the gumption to do it. And then I had a conversation with you and Craig and you both told me like, no, this is a super powerful medium. You should really, really think about doing this. And now I see the power of it because blade show this year, for instance, more people know me from the work for it podcast than anything else. Mm -hmm. They all, and people were blowing me away with the, the content that they could, you know, refeed back to me, the insider jokes. And I'm sure you get that too, you know, being on Knife Talk and doing Full Blast. It's like, it's it's more intimate, than, you know, than creating a piece of polished content, say for YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. This is where, you know, the nuts and bolts are left on the table and everybody can kind of see for themselves what's going on, you know, for, from an unedited standpoint. And it's just, it's reached thousands of people and touched their lives and made their workshops better and their work better, their work day better. So it's, I'm so grateful to, well, to be a part of this. You're very, it's, I didn't do it. I mean, I, you know, you just happen to, yeah, you but cough you had it a up. part in it. You cough it up. You had a I part in the creation of the, uh, of the Makery Network, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you really want to know the history of the Makery Network, I do. It's, I, I've podcasted, you know, almost 12, 13 years ago with my friend Nico. We did the Downward Spiral. And then, I kind of, he, he was, he's a set photographer to the stars and he's like, he's all over the, I mean, it's like, it's literally, he's on everything and he's on a couple ones that I want to talk about and he's just, you can't even mention them. But if, if think about a couple ones coming out in the future that are going to be big, he's on two of them. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's super cool. And we couldn't do it. He, we started when he was, we started when he was kind of like just starting to work with the, the filmmaker, Darren Aronofsky. And there was a lot of like tough times or times where he was going to paint houses and he was going to fix toilets and he was going to do all this stuff. And then he became the set photographer for the movie Pie. And then next thing you know, Darren had said they'd known each other for a long time. He got him to do the, you know, video stuff. And next thing you know, slowly, slowly, slowly grew more. And it gets to the point where we went from him like working on houses to being a set photographer for Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. And it was really fun because we were totally, it was fascinating listening to what he had to say. And what was interesting about podcasting to me was growing up with, you know, whatever, uh, dysfunctional family or no one there or something like that, talk radio really kind of kept me company. When I started to get older, I really liked the idea, especially and for maker podcast listeners, 
the people who listen to maker podcasts are usually hobbyists or people who have maybe they maybe they work by themselves or they have a job and then on the weekends they work in their shed or their shop or they work at night in the shop or the garage or their basement and they kind of want to be kept comfortable kept company by people who are going through the same thing they're going through so being even just hearing the same bullshit they are doing even if it's not it's this and the, it's more about the consistency the consistency of i know every thursday work for it's going to come out and i want to know what he's going to say you know it's the same thing with full blast same thing with knife talk and the so when when uh i stopped doing downward spiral and it was basically because nico was doing everything and i was like i don't know how to do any of this i don't want to even i don't want to do any editing i don't want to do any of it Jesse Savage uh, told me, hey, listen, um, I was on the Blacksmith's Pub with him and Rick, and then he says, there's this new podcast all called Knife Talk. You should give it a listen. And at the time, it was Craig had interviewed Walter Sorrells and then Alex Steele. I listened to the Alex Steele one. And then, I, and then I wrote to him. I was like, hey, you did a great job. And he goes, hey, that's awesome. You want to be my next guest? And I was just like, fuck yeah, I do. Uh, sure, I'll come on. And my the idea on being a guest on a podcast for me was, you know, you take the old... Howard Stern, Opie and Anthony, I'm either going to be asked back or I'm never going to be asked back. I'm either going to be wanted back or I'm going to be fucking hated to come back. Don't, it's not, you can't be mediocre. It's got to be, you got to be great or you got to be fucking terrible. And I, we had a good time. And then I, I helped, I helped him with questions. I helped him with, you know, we, we became friends and I knew Craig before I knew Mareko. And then I helped him with, you know, asking questions and blah, 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 blah. And then next thing you know, I, we, I interviewed him. He asked me to interview him. I interviewed him on Knife Talk. And then he was just like, I'm getting sick of this. I can't, I can't do this by myself. And then he had me in Reco. And then all the time I wanted to not do, I wanted to do Darren Spiral again. And I basically was like pushing with, sorry for the compressor in the back. It's just not, not much you can do about it. Um, I wanted to, I wanted him to produce a show for me. And at first he was like, I it's too much work. And then I convinced him. I said, you know, pandemic's coming. People need content. Let's do more. So we would do double weeks of knife talk. And I was just like, there two twice a week. And I was like, this, this kind of sucks. And it's just like a lot of extra work. And it's just not, I don't want to talk knives all the time. And then I slowly, slowly convinced him to do the makery network. And here we are. So. Well, it's, it's been a, uh, it's been an awesome ride, man. I mean, it really is. And, and to have people recognize, uh, our work just through audio and being able to participate in the makery network has been great. Um, I, I still don't have the audio for the beginning of the makery network stuff. And I was like, people are like, are you still on the makery? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, we are. We need to like talk about that more and just push it a little bit more, you know, because, uh, you know, it's, it just doesn't feel like on our end, we're very organized with that stuff. So we just do our own intro, but, uh, but no, the makery is very much alive and well, and, and, uh, there's so many people participating in it and making good content. It's just, it's just good stuff. But so what I would um, say, what I would say, sorry for interrupting. I would say no. is you're doing your podcast is exactly what the makery was supposed to be, which is, when I, when we had that board meeting and we had everybody in there and there were some big name guys in that room and we were, you know, I made it very clear. The most important thing is when you say you're going to have it out, you have it out. 
If it's yep. going to be, if you're having a day, you have a day. And I said to Craig, I said, look, there's going to be some people who are just not going to do it anymore. And, you know, my business partner, Tony, had a, had a podcast, a, a, a food podcast. Which was, it's awesome. It's called uh, Overseasoned. I'm actually going to have him on Knife Talk uh, Full Blast next week. He's just really fun. But it was hard for him and his, his podcasting partner to do it. And just the way it is. And just, you know, things were, it's difficult. And I give you guys the credit because you stuck through it. And that is a very, very, in my mind, it is the highest, the highest level compliment that you, you know, look, some of them aren't going to be all the best. And that's the way it is. But you stick with it and you, you guys do a consistently good job. And, and I would, you should deserve a, a pat on the back for that. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. We definitely take the time every week to create it, and it's become a monster. You know, so many people listen now. We're ranking in the charts in top 200 in the in the United States now consistently in the hobby category, which is just blowing my mind. And then um, since we're shouting out other podcasts, I really want to shout out <clears throat> Chris Powell and um, see uh, Corey Stanley and Chris Powell created a podcast called Makeshift. They have one episode out. Uh, Chris is a supporter of ours on Patreon. And Jeff, I I urge you to listen to it. It's really, really great. Uh, the first episode out of the gate basically comes out and and describes what the show's about, which is another maker podcast. And I listen to a lot of maker podcasts. But, you know, when you listen to these guys talk, it's like they've been doing it for a long time, even though they've not done it for a long time. So if that that's a really good indicator that it's going to be a good show. So go check out the makeshift podcast. You can check them out at the on Instagram makeshift podcast all one word so go check them out and obviously go listen to full blast podcast i have to catch up on the last few episodes because i, w- I really want to listen to the episode with you and james fleming and will Ugh. and nick rossi Ugh. and all these guys that were at blade Ugh. i mean bro Ugh. that must have been great it was to have great all those guys it, it, in the same room it was great up until the audio and that wow, was the audio's no good. The, well, the hard here's the hard part with with I'll tell you what, and I said this to Craig on the last episode of Knife Talk. The reason why I will stop doing it completely, podcasting in general, it will be for technical reasons. It will be for yeah. it will not be for having a good time and trying to figure out ways in which to interview someone. I enjoy doing that. I really enjoy kind of like preparing myself and how do you do an unedited there's no editing in full blast there's no editing in knife talk and how can you keep the ball rolling and make it an enjoyable listen for people it's always the technical problems so i got real lucky with with full blast because what i do is i book people a a while out just so we can work out the technical issues because there's that's always the biggest problem how do you get the best audio how do you get the 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 timing so the la- that episode was awesome. If the if the audio was perfect, it would have been a high level. Uh, and Nick was amazing. And Nick happened to be in Will's shop. And Will, I had already figured out to get Will and James and and uh, and uh, Matt on, and they were all fired up. I didn't have to. I didn't even have to ask twice. I just like said, "You guys want a podcast?" And it was like, "Yes, definitely." So, and then Nick came in, and 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 it was great. But it, they had to share a microphone, and then somebody else's microphone wasn't set to the right thing, and then my I get kept getting kicked out of Squadcast. So I was all facocked and flustered. And next thing you know, I'm I'm worried about these guys, their time and everything like that. And then I didn't hear how bad it was until I listened. And it was a great conversation, but like the the audio was subpar. So I'm kind of yeah. actually pretty disappointed about that. 
and that's people don't one of, realize oh, how tough it is. Go ahead, Brian. And that's one of the things that I've tried to take on with this podcast is like getting people scheduled out more than, you know, like this one was like, what, 15 minutes ago we, we set this thing up. And, uh, you know, basically I, I've been trying to do the situation where I have them on the night before or the day before and like try to work out all of those things. And you'd be surprised just how many times you have to completely scrap it because, hey, you don't have this thing that you need or this setting isn't quite right and it's just not going to work. I'll tell you some, we'll tell you some funny inside stories. Sure. One thing is with knife talk is I have gotten to the point where I wanted to, I, in my mind, after a few years, I thought I want, well, in the beginning, I thought the best way to get people interested is to have them ask questions. So we say their name and then they can hear their name. And then we all, people like that's what got me people like that. And then the next thing is, is now I have to, I, I know the kind of content works. I know, what, you know, the cur- sometimes the cursing is too much in the beginning. I got, we got a lot of problems. People were, for some reason, people thought that their kids needed to listen to fucking knife talk in their cars. And I was like, <laughs> well, whatever. But then I realized the most important thing is to have Craig and Mareko relaxed. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make them as relaxed as possible? I don't know. I could take, a while, tw- take away any of the, of the back office work so they can just show up and have a good time and be calm and casual that's the whole part about podcasting people don't realize you got to make whoever you're talking with feel comfortable enough to not say the same shit they've heard every single time and that was a huge part of like i mean i really go out of my way to make sure we have a pile of stuff and then i want i say to craig hey you want to do uh tough scenarios you want to do hot takes what do you want to do and then i have a pile of stuff and then he can pick and choose and then he can sit back and relax the same thing with Morocco. That was a huge part of why Knife Talk Now is still the number one knife-related podcast on this German festive planet. Now, in regards to that's number one in Knife Talk, I had to deal with some real problems. And I'll tell you a funny story. And I'm sorry for dominating. I just want to tell this real quick funny story. I had Lynn Ray on. I've been dying to get Lynn Ray on. Lynn Ray, master bladesmith, probably the most innovative bladesmith living today in terms of transitioning between blacksmith to bladesmith and back and forth. And I... You know, a week out, two weeks out, I send an email. Here's the best ways to go. You can't use a phone. You can't use, this is the, you know, the recording suite we use. This is the best way. Sometimes I have extra microphones that I've sent to people. Uh, so I'm sending, you know, Lynn reach out. He says, oh, you know, I'd love to be on. I'm like, okay, listen, here's what I have. He's like, I don't have any of that. I said, I'll send you a microphone and I'll send you headphones. So send them down there. And this set of microphones has gone to Jonathan Porter. It's gone to Will Stelter. It's gone. This set of microphones has gone to a pile of people. It's gone to, I'm thinking about all the, you know, Nick Anger and all these guys, Nick Anger, whatever. So get to the, get to the day. So you don't plug it in and, you know, here's the settings and stuff like that. He doesn't know how to do any of that, which is fine. You know, fine. He calls me up in such a, in such a fluster. And we tried to work it out and we had to scrap it just because his computer was out of date and then this wasn't working and that wasn't working and it is no fault of his. So I was trying to walk him through it and we had to scrap it and do it the next week and he had his son come down and it was such a ordeal. All I wanted to do was say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do it. So it happens. It, it definitely is a challenge and this is why we use the software we use, which is this super cheap, like $10 a month cast software. It's just so stupid, simple. There's no video or anything. People want us to do that. We tried that bandwidth is always an issue right? and lining everything up, uh, you know, is always an issue. So 
I figured the content is definitely king as long as you have decent audio. And if we can just get decent audio, it doesn't even have to be that great, but our audio is pretty decent. We've worked on that quite a bit and just getting out there and creating, like keeping the show moving. You know, that's my job as the the host, the primary host of work for it or the creator of it is just to keep the show going. Right. And, you know, Brian came up with the concept of WFI projects, which is hugely successful you know, 4,000, 5,000 people participating in that and tagging things and showing, you know, different projects that they've got working on. It's kind of like the same concept with Knife Talk with you guys do the question and answer and the, um, the you know, the, the uh, not the hot takes, but the. Uh, you know what you should the, do. What? what yeah, yeah, that, you know what that you thing. Do. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, and see, that's like uh, for us is almost uh, like too much work. You know, when you guys start doing all that stuff, I'm like, where do they find the time to go through all of these questions, read all these DMs? Because we get so many DMs, too. And I think like to, I just tell people, like, look, if you send us a DM, you know, we might get to it. We might not or whatever. But the WFI hashtag, which is, you know, brilliant move by Brian. It, it basically allows them to post whenever they want. We just le- look through it and scroll through it and find the good stuff and talk about it and, and give shout outs and all that. So it, it definitely gives that crowd uh, listener engagement that everyone craves. And then, of course, we turned on Patreon this year. So, uh, you know, if you're a patron, you can you get shout outs and stuff every week. And that helps grow, grow uh, social media accounts for people who. Uh, might just be getting started. So, yeah, the whole concept of podcasting, I never really realized, you know, like the power behind it. I'm standing. Here's a great example. Uh, I'm standing in a group of people. I'm talking with a whole bunch of knife guys over at at the Blade Show in the pit. And um, I had mentioned just briefly, I think, to Dennis Terrell, hey, I'd really like to meet the guys from Baker Forge and Tools. So, like, if you see them around, let me know. And I'd like to talk to them. And, um Sure enough, they were in the pit, and Dennis called me over. Hey, this is Coy, and uh, his brother was there, and they were all just chit-chatting, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm a big fan of your work. And they're like, we know who you are. We listen to the Work For podcast every Thursday in the shop. Every Thursday we listen to it. And it blew my mind because the guys from Baker Forge and Tool are like, in my head, are I, I don't I put them on a pedestal because of the work that they do. These guys are just crushing it, making these beautiful billets, and I'm just like, I would have never thunk it that they would listen to the work for it podcast with their dedicated listeners. And, uh, actually Coy and his whole team became uh, patrons this year or this month. So they joined up for a patron to support our work financially, which again, blows my mind. Um, so man, the, the reach of a podcast, beautiful thing, man. It's, it's a, such a great thing. And I appreciate you bringing me along for the ride. Jeff. I, I didn't really do did. anything. I just showed up. Listen, I, I appreciate number one. Koi sent me a really beautiful billet too. He, he spray painted the beard on the side. I haven't got to it yet. Koi, I'm going to get to it. Trust me. It's sitting there. I want to get to it. One of the things that I, I try not to think that anyone's listening because I personally believe with interviewing people and having conversation, you get locked up. You get locked up about what are you saying? What about my verbal crutches? I try not to think about that shit, and I definitely try not to think. I got the only people who won't come on full blast are are generally, there's a couple of guys who are just like, I don't do podcasts. And then there's a lot of people saying, I'm afraid of what you're going to get me to say. And I'm afraid of people hearing it. And it's like, you got to make people comfortable. 
And but at the same time, it's like you got to keep yourself comfortable by not. I don't think about it. I think that nobody's listening. I, all I want to do, my job is I got to make Craig yeah, laugh. That's all I got to do is make Craig laugh. Is yeah, this, if you can make Craig laugh, totally. That's shit. it. Yeah, I mean, that's right. like <laughs> yeah. game over. I mean, you shut the fucking podcast down. I can get Craig laughing. He laugh, he laugh, when he laughs is the best. There's nothing better. I try than to embarrass laughs. Brian. That's my goal. Every every show, I try to really embarrass him and and see if I can get him to go. Oh, okay, all right, calm down. You know, that's a, that's when I know I've reached. I, definitely, if he had a camera on him, we would see the rosé in his cheeks. Why? Oh yeah. Uh, you know why? While, while we're, why uh, be cone? Why are you hey. so? Why you get so? Why Midwestern? You, He's a it's, Midwestern. It's the Midwestful Midwestern bashfulness. I don't know what it's it is. It. You're not bashful. What are you bashful That's about? Shit. You're on the podcast. You're great on the pod. You're a great addition to this podcast. I, I reached out to you as soon as uh, Brian pulled you on. You're great on this podcast. What are you Thank you. I appreciate about? that. I was just telling Brian this before you you came on, Jeff, and and because uh, Brian, you know, sometimes has a tendency to be on the sidelines a little bit, be a little quieter because he enjoys listening to the banter that you know we bring to the table. If I am having a conversation with someone, and and in a, in a way, I appreciate that. However, I also really love the contribution that Brian brings to the show, and it's because you know, and I say this all the time, and you probably heard me say it, but uh, I'll say it again. He brings that young, younger energy of somebody who is getting started and we're watching the the rise of Brian Cohn and it might seem a little slow to Brian and I'm sure it does, but it's it's a beautiful thing to watch somebody really work hard for something and keep working at it and not giving up and to continue pushing forward and then bring all that all that to talk to the table about what are you doing this week? I'm really struggling with this X, Y, and Z. What can I do? And then the feedback comes from the audience. It's a really cool thing to have you on the show, Brian. So I, I hope you know that. I very much appreciate you saying that. I think one of the things is, is that a, you know, I do like to sit back and listen to the conversation because I, I got into this listening to so many podcasts and sometimes I just get back into that mode of, oh, I'm listening to this awesome, you know, work for it podcast and oh shit, there's a microphone in front of me. Maybe I should, maybe I should speak up <laughs> every on once, in a, once in a moment. I have a question. Jimmy Duresta was a classic example of this. <laughs> I Brian, said three fucking words. Maybe he said three freaking things. I'm like, I don't know if you know this, Jimmy, but there's somebody else on this freaking podcast. Oh, His name's Brian Cohn. Jimmy's like, I know Brian. Like he, you know, Jimmy listens to the podcast too. So it's like, yeah. it's so funny because it blows his mind that you know guys like Jimmy Duresta know who he is, and it's like, yeah, of course, you know, they hear you here, and they they love listening to your story. So I had, keep going, Brian. I had Jimmy on full blast. He was fantastic. But I have to say, I think, I think in my mind, I thought, I think I had a conversation with Derek from Alden. Derek from Alden says, oh, when we, when Jimmy and I talk all the time, and I can't even do that accent, fucking accent of his. And it, <laughs> he said something along the lines, every time we talk, we're always crying. I said, I'm going to get him to cry. I got him to cry oh. in the first 15, well, the first 10 minutes of the show. That was a, that was yes. a problem I had. I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I'll tell you another funny story. Actually, I have a couple funny stories and not a couple knife talk stories. Sometimes back in the day, Craig and I, we don't do it anymore. But Craig, used to, Craig and I used to text each other when we had guests on. We used to text, text each other. And, you know, he gets a little too comfortable with me sometimes, you know. And he's trying to make me laugh, but I'm trying to be present on the conversation. So something happened, and, and I thought, oh, I think it was Jason Knight was on. And I, was, I wanted to get something out of Jason Knight a little bit more than the same kind of... Some of these guys, they're, they're, I love all these guys. Everybody who's been on pod, the podcast has been great. 
I try to really think about what they've said before and prevent them from saying the same thing again. Like Steve Schwarzer. Steve Schwarzer, I've listened to every podcast he's been on. He, he's got the same old chestnuts that he flings out. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to make sure he doesn't do that again. So I'll figure out ways in which to say things to kind of push him in a different direction, you know, because people interview people and blah, 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 blah. So Jason Knight's on, and I'm, at, I'm trying to get him to not sound like, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, he, he's got that thing going on. You know what I'm talking about? He's like... He totally does. He's got the Peter Pan syndrome thing going on. He's, you know, whatever. He's, I love Jason. He called me once, and it was like literally... I thought, who's this guy who sounds like Peter Pan? Ah, it's Jason Knight. So Jason Knight's on, the, and he's, we're talking about stuff, and, and then I just realized, because I had just, you know, I had Quentin Milton on, and I was talking, and all of a sudden I get a text from Craig, and he says, are you trying to make him cry? And I said, you want me to make him cry? And then he texts back, yes, go ahead, make him cry. So I was like, there you go. So I was so close, and it got so uncomfortable. I, I was, we were talking about how uh, Quentin Middleton said that, Quentin Middleton told me on Knife Talk, on, on Full Blast, how, Jason Knight changed his life, saved his life. I remember that. And he was like, yep. very, he got very tearful on my podcast. And then people were sending me messages saying, why are you trying to make everybody cry? Ah, well, I mean, now it's like, now this is a fucking thing. So then next thing you know, Craig's being like, okay, big shot. Make Jason Knight cry right now. And I'm like, okay, fuck face. I'll make him cry right now. And it got like close. I think somebody like just held back a hair. But it, some of these guys, they have all these like little tells where it's like, you know, they get a little choked up or they'll say something like, I'm getting emotional. And then I'm just like, all right, I'm going to fucking. But I had to back off all that because it made people not want to come on because they thought I was trying to like, you know. Yeah, you're pushing. Motherfuck you're pushing them basically them. on the podcast is really what it came down the, to. What I really loved about the Steve Schwarzer interview is having him discuss his father. Yeah, you know, and he was talking in depth about his family. That that's like stuff that you, you never hear about people. You know, especially Steve being an older guy. You know, it's like he's talking about his dad and then the airplanes and the building. Yeah, that was a good and one. You're like unbelievable story. I mean, and those are stories he has not told on other. I mean, maybe a little bit of each, but like in depth in of those on other podcasts. And, and I think that's the, the, the truth. Like you said, there's a formula to keeping people feeling uh, somewhat uh, conversational on a podcast. Right. I think that that's where work for it has kind of gotten to, you know, we don't, I mean, I'm having a conversation with you and I just feel like we're doing that. Um, I don't. And like you said, I'm not thinking about who's listening. I'm just having this, this right. conversation and it's been generally well received. It's the same concept when you bring these people in that are are notable people. Jimmy DeResta, Steve Shores or Will Stelter. These guys are that are, you know, up in those uh, that people look up to. And when you get them to loosen up and, you know, not, not say things that are embarrassing, but tell stories and, and really share things that are intimate to them. It really shows off how well of you developed as an interviewer. And I think that that's over time, the more you do it, the better you get at it. I appreciate you saying that. There's a, there's a, there's a few things. And then you were talking before about all the work that we do. I think that being a maker and being is really, I personally, I think everything, I, I take everything like being a blacksmith where you have a very set specific amount of time. You have a specific technique and material and a very, very specific order of operations and you have to be very organized and forward thinking and I really have 
in the past 10 years, I'd say I've really kind of adopted that with the rest of my life in terms of mm-hmm. not only doing what you're saying you're going to do, but being very disciplined. And I, and I, and I push discipline a lot. And, and for some reason, discipline seems to be like this. I mean, we're all talking about Peter Pan syndrome. I mean, the maker community is just like these hobbyist Peter Panners who just, you know, they just kind of want to have a good time and they don't really, they don't understand that it's not just about this, you know, getting better than someone else or being at a certain level. It's about kind of being disciplined and it's a self situation. So with the podcasting, I really did a lot of the same thing. If I'm organized and I don't wing it, because winging it, unfortunately, with most things that I do, it's a loser. But if I prepare, like Eddie, when I, I spoke at uh, Stone Barns in front of 150 chefs, I prepared, I prepared, I, I prepared for that speech. And I, you know, I, everything I do, I try to do as much preparation as possible to kill the doubt. And I've, oh, every single time I prepare for something, I always come, acro- come around better than I expected. And the podcasting has been that way too. That's why I try to book people uh, far way out, unless I know someone, you know. And, th- and then maybe I'll just have some things in the like. I got Tony coming on uh, in about an hour. I have all these stories I want to talk with him just to kind of like change it up a little bit. But the more you understand who you're talking to, especially like guys like Steve Schwarzer, or you know, they're all going on these things. They're saying the same thing as I'm far more interested in their mentality as opposed to what they have. So like, yeah. what is this weird stuff going on here? And that must have been hard. Or what is it like having your father building airplanes in the back of the barn and they're flying them off, you know, building them in their barn and then flying them off? You know, it's like that had to have been strange, you know, and it's far more interesting. And it had a huge impact on him as a, as a human being because he got a sense of like, there, I can do amazing things. Inadvertently, I'm watching though. my father do amazing things, I can do the same thing. That's what I took away from Indirectly, though. Like he yeah, did, he wasn't. <clears throat> you he, don't realize it when you're a he kid. He wasn't. Yeah. You know, his dad wasn't coming in and saying, "Someday you two will build <laughs> airplanes in the back of your barn." He just was comfortable with the idea that something like this can happen, and it might have been something subconscious. So he was able to subconsciously understand that there were th- abilities, things that weren't out of the realm of possibility that you could do as a person. You know, you don't think about it. You don't like internalize, stop everything and let's talk about how great my dad is. It's like you're exposed to this type of performance and it's normal to you. Just like Joshua Prince. Joshua Prince, I had him on. I knew that this wasn't some new shit. His work is so sculptural. And I knew that this didn't come from nowhere. His dad was an art professor. And they had a, they, he was an art professor at not only just an art professor, he was a famous artist. He moves to Rhode Island. He becomes a, a high level uh professor of art at the Rhode Island School of Design and then he's got like table saws in the kitchen so Joshua Prince is is family's making sculpture about the kitchen table with table saws you know by the kitchen table so he's comfortable with this idea of what it's like growing up with this but it isn't like I'm special I'm a kid of an artist it's just normal to him so he can kind of normal yeah yeah, he's normal his behavior has been normalized to I listen this is what you do Um, he breaks all the norms I mean Joshua Prince is probably one of the best blades miss around it's because he doesn't he breaks the norms because he is aware of the that as a thing not he does his own thing and it's fantastic Joshua Prince has a grand understanding of the materials as well. So he, when you look at his work, I see beauty and I see design concepts, all of that. But I also see technicality 
of somebody that can look at a piece of metal or multiple pieces of metal and understand and think 20 steps ahead and actually put it together and make something. It's 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 an unbelievable uh, skill set to have. And I'm, I'm kind of just like going down the, the really early rudimentary understanding of Damascus and <clears throat> melding together different types of steel and, and all of that. And I can't even when I look at Josh's work, I'm like, how did he get there? You know, like where I mean, and that's obvious that there's 20, 30 years of just being exposed to that type of work. Um, but uh, but hey, listen, Jeff, I wanted to tell you something. I, I had an inception moment. Oh. And it was uh, my wife and I have this thing that we do when the kids aren't around and and we're you know there's nothing good to watch. And Where in the new. hell is this going? What the? I know. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're talking about Brian Prince. Come on, we're talking about Prince five Come on right now. No, you ready to get embarrassed, Brian? <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about it. And, but uh, so uh, we do this thing where we binge watch the same series of television shows over and over and over. Seinfeld is one of them. And The Sopranos is another one. So the other night uh, we're going through another probably like the fourth or fifth round of watching all the way through The Sopranos. And I noticed there's a scene where um, and I think they're in they're either in the kitchen at the house in New Jersey or they're at um, uh, Anthony's mother's house and the TV is on and they're watching a show and they're watching Charlie Palmer cook. And uh, and I'm like, you got, like that guy has knives in or Jeff has knives in that guy's kitchen. <laughs> I'm just like, it blew my mind. That Charlie Palmer like, is Charlie Palmer is an interesting guy. Charlie Palmer is a, is probably one of the original classic American new style chefs. He never became like Bobby Flay or sure. He's he his flagship. He's an interesting guy because his flagship. His flagship is uh, was a restaurant called Oriole, and and he started out. He was the the, the biggest, the most famous New York American style chefs is a guy by the name of uh, Good Job Jeff um, Forgione, Larry Forgione, and he had this restaurant called the River Cafe. And I'll give it real quick. And he his cooks who came out from under him, uh, David Burke and Charlie Palmer, all these guys, they became the first you know young chefs to get restaurants and he really started the whole american chefs being recognized and becoming restaurateurs and i ended up working for him and i'm still close friends with him and he's done a lot for me and he's really helped me as in fader knives and i'm part i'm still part of his team kind of so it's 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 really awesome and the, all the old sh- the, so many people have come through his kitchen too so it's just kind of a neat situation but yeah he's 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 new york royalty new york royalty yeah and, and that was evident because uh, David Chase chose to have that on the TV, you know, during that the filming of that episode. I, have you ever seen that episode? I you know stopped watching f- The Sopranos. I don't really. I stopped watching it when my kid was born. I stopped watching. It was just like, I don't really watch. A lot you should of TV. revisit it because now it, what what happens is you know we're older now, so like you're watching it back, kind of like when they're raising teenagers. You know, we're raising teenagers, so it's like the same time frame. And it really means that different things now because you see it a little bit differently. Because when it originally aired, I don't know what, 20 years ago or whatever, um, you know, it was it was really a, a big show at the time. But I didn't truly appreciate it like I appreciate it now. And it's actually really easy to watch. It's like only six seasons, I think. 
I, so, I just, TV is tough. You're for not me. into it. I'm just not into. Yeah. See, I, I, I work so hard and I have so much to do. And like, terms talking about podcasting, every night I have to do paperwork, like either for night oh, talk or yeah. for preparing for podcasts. I just had a podcast back out on me just now, which is fine. I'll, we'll figure it out. But it's like I'm constantly doing, and then we're doing newsletters, and we're. I, I don't. I just. I kind of gork out You're for 15 minutes. I gork out for 15 minutes after dinner and then I just go to bed. I just can't handle it. Can't handle TV shows. Right on. But Interesting. real quick back and to- you're, you're working hard, long days then. My father was a, he had a million different jobs. I mean, he was a painter, he was a winemaker, he was a realtor, he had a lot of stuff going on and, and he was always working and I always liked that. So I take after him for the most part. Uh, back sure. to Joshua Prince real quick. And this is interesting in terms of knife makers and how we view the maker community in making. We count knife making as part of our experience. I've been making knives for three years. I've been making knives for four years. Who cares? You know, if, if I've been a sculptor for a certain amount of time, I see making knives the same as sculpture. Okay, there's heat treating. Okay, there's sharpening. Okay, there's different parts. But when you look at what Josh has done, Joshua Prince has done, He's kind of just like made, he's just making sculptures a little different. And I, there's a lot of things in regards to the way knife makers see knife baking that it seems to me to be almost too pigeonholing of this concept of what we're doing. We're basically using the same metrics that, that everybody's doing. And, and, and it just becomes like, it doesn't matter. What's the difference between making sculpture and making knives? No, nah, not too much. Because it's the same principles. It's the same objectivity. Sure. It's the same, you know, mindset, really. And materials. You're using multi-mix I mean, use materials. You have to understand, you know, how they all work together. Why not? I, I, I find it's it functional. I find the whole thing to be fascinating, to be honest with you. Yeah, I and it's too. also it's also like the the attention to detail sometimes, like and also having the knowledge of what to attend, like be attentive of, like being able to really pay attention because you've been doing it for X amount of years, or you just have the knowledge from prior experience of really paying attention to this finish or that facet or yada, yada, yada. But here's a question for you, Beacon. Why, what, why do some of those things matter so much? Well, I mean, it's just the the level of th of knife or finish or whatever you want to be able to put your name on you know if if you are comfortable or if you want the rugged style like pickle used to back in the day pickle cutters you know that is a look that a lot of people like and if that's your style then that's your style but it's your intentionality of you know this is what i want to put out in the world and if it's if it's not to that level then you shouldn't put it out or you know or you should strive for better next time but isn't your happiness more important I mean, I, I feel like you should derive happiness from putting out what you want out in the world. But sometimes it's based on what other people think you should be doing. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> if, if you're comfortable with your style and you're comfortable with, you know, a level, then you should you should stick to your own guns, not try to match your shit up next to somebody else's shit. You know? I agree with you. Uh, what I'm just making the point of is... Are we doing things because we're told we're supposed to be doing things? Or are we doing things because we're sticking to our guns? Joshua Prince. There's a lot of people who don't like his work just because he's. I would refer to. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say avant-garde, but some people would. 
you know, his heels yeah. are huge. He's got like, he does these kind of whimsical, funny things that some people just don't like, you know, but he's enjoying himself and he's, he's created this style that's extraordinarily his own. And he's, he's has happiness and he's found his voice and he has happiness. So who cares? If I, he I see where you're going with that, Jeff. And I agree with you that there is a, a whole bunch of people who are very vocal about what you should be doing. And I am a big proponent of if I listened to every single person that told me what I should do, I would just be sitting in a cubicle all day. I would, I would not have flexed my creative muscles or created a business or, you know, stretched myself. Um, and would I be any happier today in that situation versus where I am now? I really think my level of happiness comes from breaking outside of those boxes, getting a, getting into uh, my own groove and finding my own path, which I think is the reason why so many people resonate with my work is because maybe they're on the cusp of that. They want to do that for themselves. And so, you know, and you and I have talked about this, Jeff, about me being an inspiration. You're like, I'm not interested in being an inspiration. I just want to be myself and I just want to do my thing. And I hear you in that regard. Uh, but I, I like to think of my work as sometimes showing people that it's okay to break the chains of the suggestions, even from a parent or uh, somebody who's close to you or a spouse that is trying to keep you inside of a specific box. If you really want to stretch outside of that box and that will bring you happiness, I think you should do it. Joshua Prince is a classic example of that. He's stretching uh, the concept that of functional sculpture and artwork into knife making. And I think it just it expands the the work. It takes it to a whole nother level. These are the guys that people will look up to for years and years and years, like the Salvador Dali's, the people who broke those those agreements that uh, art had to be a specific thing. And it and it does not. You you have to give yourself the freedom to continue and move through that and turn off the noise. And I think Josh does that. And it's probably as a result of his father being, you know, in that field for so long. And he had to do it himself, I would imagine. So um, I'm gonna, or maybe not. Maybe his dad was a little bit more oppressive. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, but it, it sounds to me like like that's a theme that we need to kind of push a little bit more. Tell people like it, it's OK, even if you fail at it. I, I don't know. I made a knife the other day that somebody said to me, like, well, what, what was wrong with it? Why did you grind the 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 handle down so small and so thin? Did you have a delamination? And I said, I'm just experimenting with organic shape. And I, I just, you know, but it's because I see guys like Joshua Prince doing it and Leon Shanks doing it. I don't know if you know Leon, but uh, Two Birds Blade Works. I mean, sure. These sure, guys sure. are all kind of, you know, they're going, they're pushing the envelope when it comes to to knife design. And um, and I didn't think that was possible until I saw their work, you know, and man, it makes me want to be want to do different things. The older I get, the more philosophical I'm interested in being. I don't need to be, I don't need to have, and I think the younger guys are a little bit more young. I think they're, I think that they deal with issues based on they, a lot of younger guys are far more interested in reaching a certain pedestal at a certain mm. time. And I'm at the point now where the older I get, I, my wife recently told me, I guess well, about five years ago or something like that. She goes, I got the fuck it. That means fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> and it's like, and it's like we stressed, we would stress about things for so long and stress about things. And now she's just like, yo, fuck it. Who cares? 
And I feel that same way. And it's like, I'm far more interested in talking about Damascus. I don't fuck with Damascus. I get Damascus from uh, uh, Bob Rankin. And the reason why is I just, when, you, when, I was a, when I was a blacksmith, we never even heard of Damascus. Never, if you talk to guys like Pat Quinn and, and you know, blacksmiths, blacksmiths, they don't care about black. I mean, I'm being funny, but they don't care about Damascus. They're far more interested on the outside, on the outside of the material. I felt the same way. I had never even, I was at the Center for Mental Arts for six years. I never even heard of what Damascus was. I never even knew what pattern welded steel was. And still to this day, I'm far more interested in being a better blacksmith than futzing around with uh, Damascus. I got one bar here I fool around with every so often and I get tired of it. And I haven't really, I've made a few bars, but just like none of it doesn't interest me. And it, and it's because I haven't grown to the point where I'm like, I need to know this now. I just, I'm, it'll come to me when I'm ready. Well, I think another part of that is like, if it just is, doesn't appeal to you, then what's the point of tra- chasing that avenue? Because like, for, for instance, with me, like, I do not have any desire to work with leather. There's nothing, I've, I've done it a couple times. I've made a couple of really shitty sheaths, but like, there's nothing about the process of working with leather that I truly enjoy. So, you know, screw it. Just let some pay for someone else to do it because obviously a sheet, a, a knife needs a sheath for the most part. And you know, if, if it's not something you're really interested in, is it really worth spending a lot of time to get good at it when you're never going to enjoy it? Ah, you hit on a very good point, B cone. You found a bit, very good point because what happens is, is the reason why people are interested in Damascus or the reason why people are interested in these things is because they're taking away the joy and looking and chasing the dollar signs. That's mm. a fact of life. I mean, that is a fact because we all know that Damascus is fantastic. Pattern welded steel is incredible. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But in terms of cutting performance, it makes nothing. No nothing, difference. nothing, except for it shows the complete control of the person making it. So what you're seeing is, is people getting more and more talented at it and they're going great at it and they're going, they're going full blast on it and, and they're doing their thing and they're making it happen. But I mean, it's the same thing what you said with the leather. Now, if, if you could charge a thousand dollars for a leather sheath and you could knock one out in like, you know three hours you change your tune oh yeah of course right there's a price for anything for me i've gotten to the point now where i'm far more interested in uh making something that i want to make but at the same time i don't want the peril like these guys they like peril i don't want uh, that much peril i like a little peril a little peril is okay but some of it's just i just can't handle this what the stress that morocco goes through making his knives is too much for my little heart to handle can't do it. Can't do it. I You're can't do it. You're too practical. I think that's what it is. No, I'm you know, not, when, I'm when not interested. A... I'm not interested in the agita. I'm not interested in yeah. like, well, what's going to happen? You know, all the D-Lam or all the, I didn't see that part or I ground through and then there's a fucking whatever in there. I don't want that. And well, the thing you're that absolutely you- right about the ego component of it too is that like when I'm working on a piece of pattern welded steel and I, and I just do random pattern because that's all I really understand at this point. I'm I'm interested in the control of it, you know, being able to take these different types of steel and make different things. And then at that very final end, you have this etching process that shows off what you've done. And sometimes it looks like shit and other times it looks amazing. Uh, And I think you're right. I love showing it off and I love all that. But the practicality behind it, somebody asked me if they could buy one of my Damascus knives. And I was like, you know, I I can't let this go for less than a thousand bucks. 
I'm like, it's just the amount of time it took for me to achieve what you're looking at. You, no one would really truly understand it unless they've made a piece of Damascus or they've made mm. a Damascus knife from scratch. And the guy's like, that's a lot of money for that little knife. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I hundred percent agree with you. I still will not sell it for less than that. And, and you know, it's no problem. And, um, and we had a hearty laugh about it and whatever else. And that knife sits on my knife rack and I love it. I look at it every day and I use it every day and I absolutely love that piece. But it took me just to make the billet almost three days. I mean, you know, not all, you know, of continuous course. work, but it took me three days to make it. And, and then I, and then when I look at it now, I think the journey from the start of that billet to the final product made me a better maker. And it, it, all those processes that it took, and you know, so I have pride in that, and I bring that to the table. I I was like you, Jeff. I never really fully understood Damascus. I didn't really like the look of it until I made a few pieces, and then I was like, oh, I got I got bit. You know, the the bug bit me. But you're right. From a production level standpoint, totally not practical. I don't know how Mareko does it. I have tons of respect for that. I mean, you look at um, Neil uh, Kamamura, same thing. The guy has just a true understanding of the of the process of making that steel. And then all the way down to making the knife and designing a knife and making it look great. And I have just tons of respect for that craft. Um, but then I look at not like your knives, Jeff, and I think the exact same thing, you know, it's it's but it's in a different zone in my mind. I just think like clean and immaculate fit and finish. I mean, I just look at all of those things about your your knife work. And I just think, God, I want to own one of those someday. And, and I want to have one on my knife uh, magnet, you know, in my, in my kitchen. And um, so it's all for different reasons, though. Let's know? just back That's up for one second. I'm sorry for interrupting. You want to back up for a second because you said sure. something about when you made that, that knife and it was on your rack and you realized how long it took and it took you all these days just to make the billet. And, and you look at it and you use it every day and you appreciated the journey. That's the reason why you should be making Damascus. Not because... I can cat. I, I mean, if you talk philosophically as a better human being, as a better, you know, at the end of the day, you're ready to kick up daisies. Your numbers punched. It's about to go. You don't think about the dimes and the nickels that you've accumulated from years ago. You think about what you've learned, and that's the answer. The answer is is where I've come from. The problem is is there's a lot of cart before the horse, and is it good or bad? I, ultimately, I think it's good. I think it's good because you're keeping alive a, a system that was that people just didn't know about for a long time. I mean, you look at Blade Show. Sixty people, uh, uh, sixty people, went for Journeyman Smith and Master Smith, which is unheard of. Unheard of. And it comes from people seeing it on Instagram, people looking at Forge and Fire, people hearing Damascus, 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 people seeing other people with it, people doing all that stuff. And you are starting to see something. It's it's great. I mean, I, talking to Nick Rossi about why do you think that there are sixty people? He said it's because Instagram and, and Fortune Fire. You can't you can't discount it. That's the story. The story is is your personal journey as a as a human being, as opposed to yeah. I need to I am make I need to make more money. I had a guy reach into my DMs today and ask me. He asked me what size should I what size and this is no I, this guy totally good dude I'm not I'm not 
I'm not beating you up. I'm not going, I'm not going to go after you. Please don't, <laughs> please don't write me back if you hear this. He asked me, well, what size, what size should the steel be for the oyster knife? I want to make oyster knife. What size should the steel be? In my mind, I'm thinking, well, you should open some oysters. You know, right. you should open some oysters and figure it out as opposed sure. to me just giving you the answer. And it's no, it's no, I've gone out, I've labeled myself as someone who's helpful. So I, I can't like blame him because apparently I'm Ask Jeeves, which is fine. But this is the issue. This is the issue. It's the issue is, is what is the sincere form of figuring out why you're doing what you're doing and where you want to go? Back to yeah, you. Yeah, and I'm kind of going through one of those issues where I, I had a customer order a half moon leather skiving knife for me. And, you know, I've, like I said before, I have no interest in leather working. So I, I cut it out and I heat treated and I ground the bevel and like, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to, you know, I, I took out a piece of leather. And I'm trying to do what you're supposed to do with it. And I don't, I, first of all, I don't know if it's just the fact that I suck at leather work or if it's the fact that I don't know what it takes to make a proper, proper good, you know, leather skiving knife. So then I take it to my leather guy and let him work on it for a little bit. And he gives me, Hey, this is wrong and that's wrong. And you know, you should try to, you know, pay attention to this curvature here, which I would have never known just because I don't have the background for it. So maybe the answer is to kind of stick into your own groove of what are you good at? What do you know? And what is it that you can test and improve on for yourself to make a better you know, product in the future? But you're accepting, you're accepting of change, which is the Absolutely. difference. When I first made my first oyster knife, I did it off of the style of opening up is, is based off of the new, new Haven style oyster knife where it's, it's a shorter knife. It's like two and change inches, maybe closer to three inches and then it curves and the curve on the curve on it is to get underneath and kind of release the abductor muscle from the shell, from the, uh, from the oyster. I was making those cause that's what we are in the Northeast. We're eating that. That's what I learned in culinary school. That's what, so a guy in the Chesapeake Bay who was an oyster guy say, we don't open oysters that way. Here's what we do. And he explained to me, he explained to me that farm raised, the difference between a farm raised oyster and a, and a, and a wild oyster and the, the farm raisers, the, the shells are thinner and you can't go through the hinge and you got to go to the side. And I started to kind of listen and then develop different styles and because I was accepting, I was accepting of him saying there are different ways to go about it. Maybe you should try to make these. Mm. Some people aren't accepting. You know, it sounds like you're accepting of, of oh, why not? Let's see what the big deal is. Yeah, and also I think it kind of gets to, you know, as as a maker yourself, you want to kind of move towards a, you know, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? What are you actually going to have the have the want to make better and better and better? And I I think the the general evolution as a maker is you start off and you're just making anything you possibly can just to the point to where it'll cut and then you start to realize that hey you should try doing this and doing that then you start getting a bunch of orders and then you're kind of at the whim of your customers because you know you're not big enough to really you know pick and choose i only want to make you know knife style x or y but you get orders from all over the the knife world and you kind of have to bathe their their will to, because you need to make money to keep this thing going and then eventually, once you get big enough and good enough, you get to then be pick more picky and choosy 
about making what you want to make. And that's that's where you guys are kind of at at this point. And I'm, I'm still in the, you know, trying to push up to, you know, I'll, I'll make whatever the hell you want as long as, you know, you'll pay me for it because I'm trying to run a business here and I'm trying to make money. And I, th- I think the the big issue is that, you know, once once you get to the point where it's not only just barely sustaining you, and but you can actually, you know, hey, sorry, you know, I don't want to make a leather skiving knife because that's not where my speciality is. You know, that's that's where you need to push towards, you know, I don't know. I Yeah, I think, Brian, you're what you're saying is and I and I felt this as a younger person up until probably about 10 years ago. Uh, where I would just literally do anything I could to pay the bills. That right. was hands down the most important thing. And then, of course, your your priorities change a little bit. Like, you know, maybe I need to have a little bit more time that's not as stressful so you hire somebody to work with you and, you know, things like that. And at, eventually, over time, of course, when you look back on that journey, you think about, you know, well, maybe I put too much emphasis on certain things but the reality of it is is that we all have to keep our head above water you know mm-hmm. and if we're working for ourselves all three of us are self-made humans we we work only for ourselves however our customer is our you know our client right so they're our boss and um you know you take those jobs on even though you think i don't want this only has it been in the last i'd say 10 years of my life i'm 45 where i was able to say i don't do that it's not what I do. This is what I do. And that has freed me up to do all kinds of other projects, you know, and create other things. And, you know, I'm, I was, I'm a very, I feel very blessed every single day that I have that opportunity to say no for a long time though. I did not. And I'm sure Jeff did not. And, you know, th- those are things that we just had to push through all the time and just create and do whatever, just to make that, get those bills paid. I, st- um, I, st- I but I appreciate that you're you're in that situation and you're open-minded enough to go to your leather guy and do your due diligence not just send that leather knife out and hope for the best you know (laughs) yeah i probably would have lost a customer if i did that (laughs) may i also suggest that sometimes you do things and it's the the overarching greater good is why you do them i take on jobs because i have payroll to make you know i take on jobs i I've always felt like if you say no enough, people will stop asking. So I'm constantly, and I've found some of my best designs coming from something that I would never have thought of. You know, colors that people wanted or things that people wanted. I find myself constantly thinking, if you say no too many times, I mean, I, I say no, I'll tell you what I say no to. I say no to chefs who get into my DMs telling me about their new restaurant and they want me to make their flatware for them. I always say no to them. And I'll tell you why. Because they're mostly all full of shit. And they all, they all want you to do designs and drawings and this and that and explanations and then you give them a bill and they're just like, how come it's so expensive? And <laughs> can't, can't get involved. Some of these guys in your DMs with the, the, the restaurant guys, you got to stay away from. But I do. I just did this set of knives. This couple, these couple knives are so wacko that like, I just, I didn't want to. I just didn't want to do it. But I, you know, I want to keep the ball rolling. And it's not. It's not. Doesn't make me a worse person for doing it. But it and it doesn't compromise my principles. It helps me make sure I'm. I'm. I'm cool with payroll. That's true. 
You got, you got to do it. I, I think where when I say no to things that I do or I'm asked to do, it's because it's so far out of my realm of work that I, you know, people just wanted me to do certain things. I'm just like, I just don't do that. It's, it's not. And it doesn't make any sense because I have the, the, you know, the ability to make, make that up somewhere else. My time I think is very valuable in certain places. And if I take that time and shift it away from that into something, I like, here's a classic example. The, the HOA I live in wanted me to make a sign for the, for the community. Ugh. Yes, I could do that. I'm not set up to do that though. Like this is not what I do. And, you know, I send, like, I tell them, like, I have customers in my old, from my old life that are sign makers. Go to them and ask them. They make signs all day long. They're going to be so good at it. You're going to get a much better product for a much lower price. And they're like, well, we'd really rather you do it. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I just, I, that's not what I do. So I say no, and then I move on. And that's, that's what I do. So be calm. Hey, what's the weirdest request you've gotten that you said no to? <laughs> Oh, shit. I, well, I mean, a lot of it is just, you know, things that I just can't do without like a milling machine or something larger, like, you know, people saying that they want a chef knife that folds, you know? Yeah. Yes. I, I could probably dream it up and make it happen, but I couldn't do it to the point of like being able to put stamp my name on it and put it out there because I just don't have the the tools or the the experience to be able to make it proper. I don't know if I've really gotten like crazy off the wall. I want, you know, a, a katana with your blood in the whatever. Like, I, I haven't really gotten a lot of that bullshit that a lot of other knife makers have had to deal with. So funny that you mentioned that because I got a call. Now we're talking maybe two years ago. And I got a call from my business partner and says, there's, a, there's these people who are on the phone with us that I know from the music industry. And they want me to, they want to know if you can make a sword in like six, seven days. And I just yeah. wrote back to him. I'm like, look, I, I don't make swords. You know, I could, make, does it have to be a real sword? I can make a fake sword. Like, no, they want a real sword. And I'm like, well, I saw something I do. And then I gave, I gave them uh, Dragon's Breath Forge. Those guys make swords. And I mm -hmm. probably mentioned, you know, talk, you know, Neil Camelmore and all these guys make swords. Turns out it was the guys making the sword for Post Malone. And then they went to Neil and Neil happened to have a katana around. And they, they, he made a sword for Post Malone. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I kind of wish I had done that. <laughs> no yeah. shit. I kind of wish yeah. I had done Good. that. But, but you don't make swords. I mean, that's the but thing. But says who? I mean, it says me right now. <laughs> well, you, could, you could be says, making it I mean, right I, now. I mean, could I cough one up if I had to? I mean, if, yes. But I mean, but at the same time, it was just like, I was so in the weeds and they had such a weird timing. And I also thought that this was going to be another one of these guys, these crazy people who want swords. They always, you give them the price and then they just, and then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, oh let me think about it. And then that's the end of it. Right. You know, sometimes what I want to know is why does Post Malone need a sword in seven days? He didn't need it. He didn't need it. It was a gift he for him. He just wanted it? It was a, gi oh, it was a gift. gift from the, this, these music people. So, oh. so did Neil Kamamura, he, he had one that he had made and, and sent it to him? About a week or so later, I saw this Instagram post from Neil and it was post Malone. Because the funny thing was I told Tony, I was just like, I just, these people aren't going to buy a sword and I just don't really want to spend the time doing a sword and I don't have the time and the energy and I just, I was in the weeds. And then we got off the phone. He already said no. He's like, do you know who Post Malone is? And my kid knows, <laughs> you know, so I'm just like, yeah. fucking Posty? I know Posty is. 
you know? Yeah. And there's a guy. His new record is really good. Pardon me? His latest release is really good. He was on Howard Stern last week, and he was pretty interesting. He's an interesting character. I'm not 100% sure I feel about Eh, I, I don't know he, if he's totally I really like how, I mean, he, he's transparent from the standpoint where he doesn't really hold back. He just talks about whatever. And, and I really like that about him. It doesn't seem like he's too guarded. And he's, you know, he talks about his mental health problems and things like that. And he's just really open about it. I think that's really, that takes a lot of bravery and courage to do that. And You know I who's like unbelievably interesting is Billie Eilish. Yeah. She's a genius. Yeah, I've heard this. She's I've a total this. genius. My daughter loves her. Oh, yeah. she's a, I mean, I've heard her speak and she's a really, she's incredibly smart. I'm sorry for co-opting your, your, your podcast. I don't know if you wanted to talk about Billie Eilish. Close for a while. I'm sorry about that guy. Yeah, we'll uh, talk about whatever. And in, in fact, uh, I have a dad joke if you guys want to hear it. Uh, okay. Go ahead. So this is a dad joke. Uh, Chris Powell from Makeshift Podcast and Full Steam Designs. He was hoping that I would read this one. And this is from a book that was sent to me by Ben uh, up in Massachusetts. Ben's Bites. Appreciate you, Ben. He sent me an entire book of dad jokes. And here's one right now. Uh, Why are skeletons so calm? Why is that? Because nothing can get under their skin. The trombone yes. is so clutch for me not hanging up that you uh, don't even know that the, the trombone is the one of my the foley work is the is the highest level. Congratulations! <laughs> Only fourteen years of my so life great. playing that thing, you know. The trom- and look where it's taken you. I love yeah, the trombone. I, I love the trombone so much, and I and I'm ama- I don't know if in if if we broke down the fourth wall. I don't know if. If Brian sends you a little text saying, get the trombone out, or I'm going to send some dad jokes, or you have <laughs> no. it ready to go. No, or, no I just it have it. I just have it sitting right here next to my, my desk. And yeah. In what part Let me of the tell joke? tell you something about, he knows, like right at the top of the hour, which is where we're at right now, right. one hour in, Brian has this built-in Midwestern reliability component <laughs> yeah. to him, where it's like embedded in his head. You tell him one time, like, Brian, this is what I want. And he goes, okay, boom. There it is. Done. It's like programmed into his head, and he just does it. And every time, it has been just flawless. Okay. So well, be- what it really is is that, you know, when you guys are talking, I, I put yourself, I put myself on mute, and I'm warming up over here. So ah, Wait a second. That's what it is. Wait a second. So you podcast in the same spot all the time? Yeah. All right. And you have the trombone right next to you all the time? Yes, sir. And... At what point do you have to move around so you're not hitting a wall or a desk or something like that? <laughs> At what point are you like lifting it up and putting it to your face and then how you have to figure out how close you are to the microphone? Take me through the trombone because that's and you're not too close and you're always on the money and I, I need to know exactly what happens with the trombone. Well, what I really should do is I should take a quick over hot overhead picture of kind of my setup because here I am sitting at my desk and lit, I'm talking to you in the mic and I can reach my trombone on its stand over here. And yeah, I just I just grab it and I turn it. I'm facing a wall that's maybe three foot away from the microphone. So I do have to kind of turn on an angle and it, it is kind of janky, but hey, we make it work. You're prepared. You're completely yeah. prepared. Well, always. The, trombone the is time. always the trombone is the highlight of the dad jokes. <laughs> I I was waiting for that groan as soon as Brian said, you did know, you, hey, we're gonna pull out a dad joke. Did you hear Brian's like kind of like 
quiet disappointment when I made that noise. <laughs> I mean, it was so loud. Bit, I was like, oh, and I could hear you just like got a little bit like, you got a little bit sad that I made that groan It, it is a little sad because I've, I always think that everyone loves it, but then I think that's the reason why it's a dad joke. I don't like Because sh- it's yeah. just so polarizing. Like some people just absolutely fucking love them. And then other people are just like, that's a groaner, dude. Like stop doing it. It's so cr- It's like cringy or whatever. And I'm like, Bro, I'm just gonna keep doing it because pe- there's so many people that send me dad jokes on the regular. Oh yeah, every single day I get probably ten DMs of dad jokes, and then I mean shit, the book just showed up in the mail from Ben. I mean it's like crazy, but uh, real real quick to switch away from the dad joke thing and everything else, I got a little bit of business to do. Number one is uh, we have a mutual sponsor, Jeff of Knife Talk Podcast and the uh, Workforce Podcast, and that is Lawrence Lake over at MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. If you need anything, you're making something, and you want um, the best quality with the best prices and the best logistics, meaning they ship from Canada to the United States every single day, you can take advantage of the United States CAD conversion rate and get yourself some knife making supplies from MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. And I'll tell you what, I hung out with Lawrence at Blade Show. I talked to him all the time. We're always going back and forth. He is one of those guys that is super solid. He'll never leave you in a lurch. He always comes through. If you need something, he can find it, and uh, and you can uh, order it straight from them. I, I noticed, Jeff, that they, uh, you and, aren't you guys doing a, a similar deal? Like he um, has a sponsorship with Knife Talk? Yeah. Yeah, he he's a super duper guy, super duper guy, and I really appreciate uh, how su- supportive he is of makers in general. So yeah, yeah, he yes. uh, sponsors Knife Talk. Yes, awesome. And the other piece of business I wanted to just quick shout out the Arc Junkies podcast, which is a welders podcast. Uh, they reached out to me. Actually, Steve Grillo reached out to me, and um, they're doing uh, PTSD Awareness Month. So if you go to Arc Junkies Podcast on Instagram, you can read all about it. They have a um, a fundraiser going on right now, and I think you can win all kinds of prizes. Uh, and just basically look through their like two or three days ago on their posts on the Arc Junkies Podcast Instagram feed, and you can read all about it. You got to be 18 to enter and all of that, but there's like a ton of prizes you can win. All kinds of stuff, including uh, I think uh, Steve is donating a knife. So just uh, be aware of that. I, I told Steve I would shout it out, and it is for an awesome cause, PTSD awareness, which I think is a huge thing. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of people in my life have suffered from PTSD. Close friends, um, you know, whether whether it be from military or other things, and and this is something that's very real. Needs to be uh, a, sh- a spotlight needs to be shown on, upon it, and I think it's important that we do things like this and kudos to the guys over at the arc junkies podcast look at you that's a good show too. look at you. yeah well while we're shouting people out i've got one that i i have a note to definitely shout out um i don't know if you guys know travis haynes over at bird forge he's kind of a younger maker like myself yes. i met him over at blade show well he had something come up where basically he went into work and found out that he's completely laid off with no like hey well, it'll be a couple weeks or a month or so he's just laid off for who knows how long. So oh, he no. is doing a raffle to try to, you know, get a little bit of funds going to try to pay the bills in the meantime, because, you know, the shit that they're getting is is not nearly enough to keep the lights on. So I had him record a quick video to kind of talk about it here on the podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now. Perfect. Hey, everybody. Travis Haynes here. Just wanted to give you an update on my latest post and the one about the waffle and the eight inch chef's knife. 
that I have coming out. It's a concept knife of mine that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. It's just been kind of rattling around in my brain and I finally to a point where I can make it a reality. And what better way to do that than to uh, present it through a waffle. So the idea of the knife, it's going to be an eight inch chef's knife, mono steel, ADCR V2 blade. And with the most ambitious handle that I've made to date, without a doubt, it's going to be a wah slash Coke bottle style handle. I want to do a marrying of the two designs. Just think of the clean straight lines on the spine side, like a wah, and then the bottom half of it will have the belly and the curves that you would expect out of a Coke bottle. So I, I think it's going to be a super comfortable knife, real clean. And it's also going to have a tapered pommel and a nut or a rivet on the back because this will be a through tang construction, which I think is kind of fun for a kitchen knife. You don't, you don't typically see that in, in culinary knives. So if you want to enter, it's $20 per spot and you can message me. We can take care of that through the DMs or you can follow the link in my bio and that'll take you to my website, hanesknives.com and you can purchase your spot through there. So just want to thank you again for your support. I love this community and I just can't wait to see this knife out in the world and, and make it a reality for you. You can find Travis over at Bird Forge. That's his Instagram handle, Bird Forge. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if we could all get together and support him in this time of transition? And I think that is a part, a beautiful part about this community where we support each other. So you can count on me buying into at least one of those tickets, Travis. And I, I loved hanging out with you at Blade, Travis. So. Uh, let's go out and help him out and make sure that he gets what he needs to move forward with his journey. I know he's building a shop. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. So go follow him on Instagram, Bird Forge. That's all one word. And uh, when that, um, I'm going to shoot him a DM right now and tell him I want in on that ticket. It was actually a year ago at the end of this upcoming month when I quit Target and went full time. And I've been kind of talking with him back and forth. It kind of sounds like this is going to be his kind of launching off point to maybe, you know, going full time himself. So it'd be really cool yeah. to start him off with a bang. I'll tell you what, being laid off for my my first job out of college was actually the one of the biggest eye openers that I had um, because I realized like, you know, I have to make like basically one or two people really, really happy. And if I don't, they can control my financial uh, future. And that was something that uh, really resonated with me and ultimately led me to become an entrepreneur. And uh, uh, that's that's sometimes I would say that a lot of good comes from those really tough, bad things that happen. Fader so, knives. Fader knives would never have happened if I wasn't laid off. That's right. Never would have happened. Story. It was I was yep. unceremoniously laid off on a Friday after we did an installation. It was really uh, uncool. And then I got home. Know, freaked out and then we you know we've worked on this worked on that next thing you know boom bingo bango bongo i realized the you know i worked hard to make it happen and but if it wasn't laid off if i had been still at that i'd probably still be at that metal shop probably would have had a union card or probably would have gotten paid a lot more <laughs> i probably would have <laughs> probably a lot of good things would happen if i didn't leave that job for the job i got laid off at but what are you gonna do i don't i wouldn't change anything that was going to be my next question to you actually is how is business? I mean, are you, uh, do you see growth? Are you excited about the future for fader knives and what that means, you know, moving into 
next year and this year? I mean, what's tell us a little bit about like we're at the tail end of the show. So I'd really like people to and I know most of our listeners know who you are. But I, I'm really interested in the the business development end of Fader Knives. Well, it's right now we're in a good position. One of the things I've learned to be is less stressed out because I try not to nickel and dime everything. I try to be a little bit more zen about everything. But we have two new employees that we love. They're great. Tiger Claw Customs is in the shop right now grinding away. He works for me a few days a week. And then AZ is AZ is the best. AZ is in the isn't down in Philly and she does a lot of back office stuff, a lot of customer service stuff. She was actually just at an event we did with uh, Alex's Lemonade and she was uh, representing us and she's fantastic. And it's good. It, we're, we're, we're trying to change. I don't, I'm not the business guy because it's like, I can only, and I don't, I don't micromanage. I don't micromanage my business partner, Tony. I don't micromanage. I allow things to happen. I give broad strokes and then I'm just not, I'm not tearing people up on Sunday night in the middle of the night, you know, and it's good. We're, we're, we're establishing ourselves with a, something different than a lot of people. And now what we're doing is we're less pushing the custom stuff and doing more stuff on hand. This is the first time as of now I have all, I have all my t-shirts in stock, which is crazy. I have all this hoodies in stock. I have hats in stock. I have fucking prints in stock, but I also have forks. I have offset straight knives and I have butcher knives in stock. So Damn. like now we've been at the point now where we're able to like, I get an order I grab it, put it in a box and go. And that's really like transitional shit for us mm. because the, I love doing the custom stuff because I love doing, I just finished off a set for a friend of mine who works at the New York Times and she wanted me to just go crazy and I went crazy and I loved it. But you don't get a lot of people who say, make whatever the hell you want. It's a lot of like, well, what do you think about this? And what about this color? And I, I want to make sure that this gray matches the, you know, the wainscoting in my living room. And <laughs> the back and forth is the worst. And it's, it's a giant time suck. And now that we're doing this thing that you can just click and buy or click and pre-order, it's saved us so much time and energy. I actually once had a guy who just wouldn't answer the emails. We, he, I wanted an oyster knife and he wouldn't answer the emails. He wouldn't answer the emails. We write him back and we write him back and write him back. And a year later, he just lit me up on Facebook about like, you're doing all this stuff, but what about your other customers? As if he had, as if he had already bought something. I just, you know, screwed him. I took his money, didn't make anything. Well, Tony and I were tearing the whole shop, dude, his shop up, my shop up to figure out where the, the guy had never answered his emails. And then he made it seem as though we, you know, we just took his money and ran. He didn't buy anything. You know, dealing with that is the worst. So now we're at the point now where we have stuff in stock. We're, we're doing a specific color design for the year. And then I love this concept. I heard you talking about on knife talk. It, it's like, this is so good because it's like limited run and it puts that sense of urgency. Like if you don't buy this color combination, you know, you got your bubble gum lift ticket, you got all your cool names, fancy names for all your color combos. And I'm like, God, that's fucking brilliant from a marketing standpoint. And I don't say that a lot. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, Jeff. I'm a marketing genius. So, I mean, I really <laughs> you have to do Wait, something are, really spectacular. Are you to an entrepreneur? My, I am. <laughs> okay. I am an entrepreneur. I, just to make sure. I am. I have been sure. for about three months now. I'm I'm, I'm working. That's the drinking that. game. Isn't that the drinking game? I've been told that when you say entrepreneur, <laughs> that's when you take a shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right next to Bingo yeah. Bango Bongo. Bingo Bango Bongo, people are getting drunk. Or, uh, uh, yeah, I have a lot of verbal crutches that I would fucking get. Yeah, I would get people to die in, a, in like alcohol poisoning if I get sag. So I'm sorry for us. <laughs> one of the things I resonate on last episode of Knife Talk, you were talking about being able to just uh, pick up something and, and ship it instead of having to, like, okay, the order comes in, now you got to make it and you got to, you know, I, you know, me in manufacturing. Right. I fucking love it. It's that's how it should be done. I think production knife work is the wave of most knife makers should be looking into it um, as their flagship products. And then they can do their custom work on the side. I really love your, your idea of the limited color run for the year. You've got a fancy name for each one. I really dig it. I think this is going to take fader knives into the next level of growth for your business. I'm just so impressed with what you and Tony are doing. It's fantastic. Well, it's fun. That that's the thing. That's the thing that's so good um, with with what we're doing. One of the things is Tony and I have a good time together, and we have we come up with different ideas, and we come up with things like recently, like I was doing something different. I said, you know, maybe we should have some like. Uh, once in a while, have like a different set to offer. And he's just like, we're going to call it the wild card set. So next year, we're going to have these little wild card sets that are going to go out. And, you know, we, we oh. he and I have a good time talking about it. We have a funny time. We have a really fun time with AZ doing the newsletter because we fuck around so much. And we write outrageous things. Newsletter's great. We I'm write outrageous things. Now it's just like, now it's, and, and we write the newsletter to see who backs down. Like Tony will do something cause he knows that he thinks I won't like it. And then AZ sends me a message saying, are you sure you want him to write that? And I say, he knows it irritates me, which I think is funny. So you're keeping it. So this, there's this whole, like <laughs> these weird layers, but like the, I get messages from the newsletter just because some of them are so outrageous. Like I'll write, they'll tell me, uh, like I got to write about the, the fucking uh, hinge cracker oyster knife. And I, I'll, I enjoy writing. But then I get to the point where I'm writing and writing and writing. And I'm like, who gives a shit? And then I'll write, well, who gives a shit? And then I'll write, nobody's <laughs> reading this. What do you care? And then I'll write the whole, I'll write like my stream of consciousness. And I'm like, they're not even at this point yet. I mean, they're not going to read this. And it's, and it's, and it's all of a sudden I get messages to people like saying, I'm in it for the newsletter. So it's, it's fun. And we just did a video. I just did a video for the Hinge Cracker, which was awesome. Uh, for des design for the reels, design for reels. So we're gonna have that out, and, and that, that's that was a lot of fun. And, and unfortunately, it was so good that now Tony's like, we got to get a videographer on here, and I'm like, oh, mm. God, Jesus Christ, I don't want to do that at all. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I can sell, send Kyle down your I don't way want if anybody, you really want. Don't send anybody. I tell you what, we agreed to. My friend came and did this thing. I was annoyed as soon as I was into it. I prepared and everything like that. I was annoyed as soon as he said, let's go, let's start, like start talking. And you can even tell in the video that I'm just like, oh, just get me out of this fucking thing. I don't, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. And I, I did it. It was actually, that made it funnier. That was just like, oh, God, are you done yet? <laughs> can we go? Can we be done now? I have, so I have one, one last question for you, Jeff. This is a very important go ahead. question is 15 or uh, is 52, 100, a high carbon steel or a stainless steel? That was a bad one, dude. That was a bad one. You're talking about the comments in the uh, in, Epicurious in the Epicurious. <laughs> I the I was trying to trigger you. Epicure really. the Epicurious <laughs> video. I'm glad I did it, and I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't from Joel Joel from Cut Brooklyn. 
Joel from Cut Brooklyn, who's the patron saint of knife making, you know, New York guys. He broke his leg, couldn't do it. They contacted me. We, I did the whole thing. I wrote the whole thing. That's the funny thing about these YouTube videos from Epicurious. They don't realize that they're hiring a person to be it, but also to write the whole goddamn thing. So the video, I wrote it. I got everything. I got everything. I pretended like I didn't know what was here, and I pretended I acted so like... And people really wrote a lot of things that were, some of them were very funny and some of them were stupid. One of them, the guy just started talking about how much of a liar I am about 52100. 52100 <laughs> is stainless steel. And I'm like, and I got so irritated. I, I didn't care that people said I have terrible fingers or I look fat or I double chin this and Chris, homeless Chris Pratt that. I don't give a shit about that. But don't call me a liar about something that, like, I 5200 is not stainless steel. And this guy was, like, lighting me up. And then I had everybody on full blast light this guy up. And he wrote, he took down the comment and then wrote how much of a piece of shit I am, which has made it even funnier. So, yeah, 5200 is carbon steel. It's very it better good. Better be. All right, very good. I'm glad you cleared that up for us I mean, because we were all better we were be. wondering. Better be. I mean, I don't know how I'm getting the mustard etch on the mustard patina on it if it's stainless. <laughs> Well, Jeff, man, I want you to know how much we appreciate your work and your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the Work For It podcast. Uh, we are going to really, really hold on, Brian. You can't play oh, the music just is that yet. The, that's the Hulk Hogan music. I love that's the, the Hulk, Hulk Hogan, Hogan music. music. We we can't play the Hulk Hogan music yet because really quickly, I want to shout out the beautiful people at Patreon who have um, who have uh, have been supporting our work right here on the Work For It podcast. There are now 70 total patrons Goodness. of the work for it. Yeah, we're we're definitely jumping up there and uh if you if you're not already contributing to our Patreon it's it, but basically what it does is it finances our trips like to Blade Show and different places like Maker Camp and things like that. And real quick, I'm going to shout out all 70 of you. Uh, and feel free to uh, you know, um, you know, mute your microphone Jeff or whatever because this gets a little long winded but I'll tell you what it's worth it because I appreciate all these people but Marcus at MW Steelworks Mark Vanderwerf at 118 Blades Justin Miller Florida Man Forge Devin and Dustin O'Hara of the Art of Craftsmanship Entiot River Forge Noah Bloomberg Michael Nye Jamie Blow or Jamie the Squid Eric at Overall Makerworks Bob Ryan Brigham Kendall Scott Wilkerson at Phoenixworth Works Keith Drennan at Blackthorn Concepts, Bob at Shed underscore 72, Brian Hooten of Hooten Knives, Jason Moss, Mark LeBlanc, Papa underscore Hatch underscore Axe, Ken Kemna, Crafty Man Forge, James Hunsberger of Hunsberger Knives, Cardoso Knives, which is in Portugal. I have one of his hammers. Beautiful piece. Thank you so much. And for the keychain as well. Uh, let's go down. KnifeMaterial.at, Moonshine Leatherworks, that's Brian Absher, The Working Hands Podcast, Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks. There's your shout out, Ryan. I just gave it to you, buddy. I'm just kidding. I We appreciate you over at the Hustle and Grind Podcast. Carol Ann Jeanette Racine, Oxford Blade Co., MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, Richard Beck at BexArmory.com, Jared Weaver at Weaver's Custom Metalworks, that's Metal Master of Metal Manipulation, Leon Shanks of Two Birds Bladeworks, Dennis Terrell of Terrell Knifeworks, Thomas Moberg of TMO Knives, Donnie Dulovich, Maximus Knives, Troxclair Custom Cutlery, Echo Blades, that's Jared at Echo Blades, Nate Walpole of Walrus Steel, Zach Byrne of Burn Blades, Full Steam Designs by Chris Powell, Matthew Angel at Ad.KnifeWorks, Wesley Crum, Benjamin Mullins, Matt Bicker at DIY Europe, 
Dustin Yahima, Tony Mural of UK Knife Maker Supplies. I was just on their podcast. Go check that out. Jeremy at 419 Forging, Ira Housework, Reaper Metalworks, Chris Larson at the Midnight Maker. That's midnight-maker.com. Sven, oh, Sven, I can't even pronounce, pronounce your last name, at Nord Artisan. You are have to fill me in on that, Sven. Eric Andrews at Sourwood Creations, Todd Harrington at TH Blades, Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, Adrian Brielle, which is at Adrian Brielle underscore Forge, Lando Novak, the Abstract Blacksmith, Don Kirshner, Woodland Iron, that's Tony at Woodland Iron, Timber Tiger Forge, Chris Magnus, Zachary Sowell at Pater Nostri Fabrica, New Forest Forge, Forge, that's Stu Middleton, Ron Hips at RH Maker Solutions, Brian Hinkamp at Tortuga Blade Works, Bremer Built Knives, Gage Broski, Jake Largan, Par- Parable Knives, or Par- Parble Blades, that's Manny G at Parble Blades, Austin Saunders at High Caliber Craftsman, Coy Baker of Baker Forge and Tool, Stormlight Forge and Jason Duguay. Jason Duguay. I don't know if I pronounced your last name right, Jason, but thank you, thank you, thank you to all 70 of you. We truly appreciate you. <sighs> I am so glad that you do that because I'd be umming and on myself <laughs> all the way through that. And I appreciate so many you sitting people. through it. Can I ask <laughs> one crazy. question? Sure. Sure. I think it's Toby Morell. Toby. You, what did I you say? You always say Tony. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I I must I must be just reading it as Tony and and it because I know his name is Toby. I was on their podcast I know. a couple of times. I'm wondering. I'm thinking like, this guy's been on his podcast like twice. Is. He keeps calling him Tony. <laughs> it's Toby. Toby Muir. Fine. Toby's yeah. fine. Toby's good. Good guy. You should go on that I've podcast. Been on it. You'd have a blast on that. You've been on there. I've been on there. I was on there. When was it, a year ago? Something like that. Or when? Uh, not too long. Yeah, probably like half a year ago or something like that. It's fun to hang out with those guys. I don't go on a lot. It's of always other interesting podcasts. to hang out with people in another country and hear about like what they've got going on. I don't go on a lot of other podcasts just because it's like it's enough. It's enough with me. But you, you've been on <laughs> Knife Talk. You've been on Full Blast twice, and I'm fine. And, and uh, I know. I like your take. I feel on bad. Things. I'm like I don't want to ask Jeff you, to like bug him. No, you can ask me. Go ahead. Great. Whatever you want. I'm like, look, dude. I, I'm with you. It's so good to have you here, Jeff. I'm it's, happy. To it's be It's good here. because you're a professional podcaster. You understand what it's like to be on a microphone. I it's love fine. it. Man. It's fine. You did a great I don't job. know if I'm professional. It's fine. I'm fine. I think you are. At this point, I think you could call, you could qualify yourself as a professional. Passable. Mediocre. Passable. Mediocre. Professional. Mediocre. Yeah, that's true. Better than a lot Listen, of the flea bags Brian- out there, though. <laughs> cue the fucking cue the fucking Hulk Hogan music. Bob, better the music, than a lot Brian. of flea bags out there. <laughs> Well, listen, guys, we appreciate you listening to the Work For It podcast and Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, the Knife Talk podcast, and go out and check out his his awesome, amazing series, the Full Blast podcast, on any major podcasting platform. We appreciate you. We appreciate you, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you guys have a good working week ahead. My name's Brian House. This is the Work For It podcast dude did did you get like deflated or something what the hell happened there come on i think i'm out of breath from the reading all the names (laughs) i i'm like on my head like i'm like i'm like you know it's it's funny because i just just not the same man i used to be brian well you just fucked up the outro the outro is all fucked up i'm very fucking old now you had it good here let's do it again let's go let's go i gotta do it again take a break take a break guys 
Listen to the Work For podcast here on the Makery Network. Thanks again, everybody. B. Cohen, speaking for B. Cohen and Brian House, I'm with you. <laughs> That's how you do it. <coughs> okay. All right. I'm with you. Bingo, bango, bongo.